With those uh, announcements out of the way, let me invite you to open up uh, in your Bibles if you brought one or find the Bible in front of you in the pew and turn to the book of James chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 5 and work our way hopefully through to verse 11 this morning. There is a saying that knowing your strength, or your strengths, plural, is intelligence, but knowing your weaknesses is true wisdom. Knowing your strengths is intelligence, but knowing your weaknesses is wisdom. Back at the the start of the summer, late spring, I had this idea in my mind that I wanted to, to set aside a few days this summer to take guys from JCC camping together. Coming out of a long season of isolation and, and everything that COVID brought our way, I was eager to spend less time on Zoom and more time in person, in the outdoors, swimming, canoeing, sitting around a campfire together with people I enjoy. So I had this idea in my head, but when it came time to pull together a plan to execute on that idea, I realized that I didn't have a lot of experience group camping in Vermont. And as I started to think about where could we go, what would this look like, I realized that lots of people were way ahead of me. The the campsites in, in Vermont and up here in New England were rapidly being booked up for the summer. And so I had this idea in my head of what I thought would be fun, but what I lacked was the the planning power and the experience and the the logistical know-how to make it happen before summer disappeared. And that's when I sort of came to terms with the fact that I probably needed to ask for some help to bring in some additional firepower. And so I I thought, "Who, who does this kind of thing? Who loves this kind of thing? And the name Jeff Johnson popped into my head. Jeff and Sean love to canoe and paddle. They've been all over the state of Vermont camping. And so I shot off a quick email to Jeff and said, hey, I want to take a a guy's camping trip this summer. Are you in? Would you like to tag team on that? And within, I think, 24 hours, I got an email said, I'm in. Let's do this. Tell me how I can help. And within a week, I had a spreadsheet from Jeff that listed every possible campsite with paddling or swimming options available, and then even their availability based on the state state parks website in terms of when we could book group sites from from then until the end of the summer. And I was like, man, I hit the jackpot. I asked the right guy to help out. Well, the the net result was uh, a couple of days up at Kettle Pond earlier this week. We left last Sunday after church and came back Tuesday morning. And it was, it was a wonderful time. We had great weather. We had uh, fun times. We got out on the pond um, and, and just enjoyed being away. Uh, a little plug, we're already starting to think about doing it again next summer, so we'll let you know. But we'd love for, for more of you to join us. As one of the guys uh, on the trip said, though, having Jeff uh, alongside or, or helping lead us was kind of like having our own Camp Sherpa. He was you know, cooking. He was setting things up. He was making sure all the gear was in the right place at the right time. So that was really wonderful. And I, I honestly think 
if I hadn't asked for help early, earlier in the summer, I don't think we would have gotten there. I don't think the plan would have come together. And certainly it wouldn't have been as smooth or successful. But asking for help, asking for, for others to join us in the places that we don't feel as confident or comfortable is not something most of us are well-versed, well-practiced in. And so I want us to think together about that as we look into James chapter 1 again this morning. Last week, we started our look at James by uh, looking at verses 1 through 4 in chapter 1. And there was this idea that there will be times of testing, times of difficulty. There will be challenges that come our way that, that are difficult in the life uh, of our faith together. But James wants to encourage us to persevere during those times of challenge and testing. With the knowledge, he said, that God desires to bring us, desires to grow us toward a future horizon of completion a future horizon of maturity and growing up in our faith. And trials can, can forge in us that resilience and maturity and, and deepening in formation. As we move a little deeper into chapter 1 today, James, I think, invites us to take the next step toward that idea of completion. And, and ironically, in order to move toward completion, we need to acknowledge where we are lacking, where we are incomplete first. In this morning's passage, I think James asks us to consider three possible areas of deficit. Where are we lacking wisdom? Where are we lacking faith or trust? And thirdly, where might we be lacking kingdom perspective on our circumstances? Where might we be lacking wisdom? Where might we be lacking faith? Where, we might, be we, where might we be lacking perspective, kingdom perspective? Now, I know naming our deficits is on the front side, on the initial side, uncomfortable. It's not something we, we like to reveal. But I want us to, to be encouraged as we think and, and hear this passage read this morning, that when we get over the pride or the insecurities or, or the things that keep us stuck from acknowledging our lack, when we move past that, then we begin to move into a place of freedom, a kind of freedom where we can invite God to respond to our needs, to respond to our deficits. And we can trust from the word of God that God responds to our need with gift. God responds to our need with faithfulness. God responds to our need with mercy and loving kindness. And he desires to make us complete. So would you turn with me to James 1? Let me pray for us as we open up God's word together. Lord, you see us, you know us, and you know where we are growing, where there is new maturity, where there are things you have taught us and formed in us that are good, and we celebrate those things. Lord, help us 
Help us to be grateful for the work you have done. But Lord, also help us to rest and and to be okay with the fact that you also see where we are lacking, where we are yet immature or incomplete. And because you know that and see that, then we can be honest with you and with each other and invite your help this morning. Lord, we pray that as we come to your word, that, that the words of my mouth as I teach and proclaim and preach, that the meditations of our hearts as one people would be pleasing in your sight. Jesus, it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. I hope uh, many of you remembered to bring along your scripture journals with you, or if you weren't here last week, hopefully you got one of these at the door. Um, For those who have one there in the pews this morning, let me invite you. The idea as we move through the book of James is that we be writing it out together. So I'll I'll be sort of working through these uh, seven verses, six or seven verses today. Feel free as we do each piece to, to write them in, and you can sort of reserve the first 10 or 15 pages here of your journal so that as we make our way through James, eventually you'll have transcribed the whole book there in the front of the journal. And then you can reserve the back portion, the back, you know, three quarters of the journal, uh, week to week, day to day, to take those verses and and journal about them, maybe to recopy them through the week and and make them your own. Use them as prompts to pray or, or to reflect or to process. So you can grab your journals and, uh, and copy. Again, as we, as we hear the word of God read, you can copy slowly, copy thoughtfully. Think about sort of how these words and phrases and, and verses hang together. What connects them? This is James chapter 1, verse 5. And remember, the end of verse 4, if you've got it there in your journal from last week, concludes with this idea that God is growing us toward maturity, growing us toward completion, and God has this desire that we would not be lacking in anything, in any place of goodness and and Christ-likeness. And so verse 5 then, pointing back to verse 4, says, Now, if any of you lacks wisdom, if you notice that you are lacking in this way, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it, meaning wisdom, it will be given to you. The book of James is perhaps unique in the New Testament in terms of being classified as a a form of wisdom literature. Now, it, it is a letter that's written to a particular audience, group of people. But in many ways, James's style, James's tone and approach is a lot like the books of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. James is giving us practical, James is giving us moral and ethical teaching. James is interested in supplying us with wisdom so that we might know the way faith is intended to be lived out. Right? If we believe this, then what must we do? How must we live as a people? And so standing in that long tradition of Hebrew wisdom, 
think James shares with that tradition two important convictions. The first conviction is this, that all of us, regardless of who we are, will come across times in our lives, decisions in our lives, trials in our lives, where we will lack wisdom. James believes that our need for wisdom is a predictable feature of our humanity. And I think he also wants us to know that we don't need to be ashamed of that fact. The the faster we acknowledge that, the, the quicker we get over it, the better for us. We, all of us, will have times and places where we lack wisdom. But the second conviction that James also shares just as deeply is that whenever and wherever we lack wisdom, God is the kind of God who eagerly, generously desires to supply it. We lack wisdom, but God is the giver of wisdom. Those are foundational to this this wisdom tradition in in the Hebrew Bible. So here in verse 5, James points us to the first step we have to take. If we desire to gain wisdom, if we desire to become complete or more complete in this area, then he says, if you lack wisdom, you should ask God. James is saying there are going to be times in your life where you can't get enough data. You can't do enough analysis. You won't be able to intuit your way through whatever that trial may be. You will be at a crossroads. You will will be at a place where you do not know what wisdom looks like, what way to go, how to respond. Gaining wisdom requires the admission that we are finite, that we are limited human beings. And again, as James says, that is okay. It's it's who we are. It's part of how we are created. We are beings created with that kind of dependence. So take a deep breath. Because when we recognize our limitation... That also means we can step toward God. We can invite God into that place of limitation, into that place of deficit with us. So maybe in the margin next to verse 5 where you've copied it out in your scripture journal, I invite you just to think about maybe writing a word or two there in the margin. Where might you be facing a wisdom deficit right now? Where do you lack wisdom? And just put a, a note, a couple words there that, that indicate this is, this is a place where I feel limited in perspective, in need of wisdom. And with that in mind, as we think about asking God for wisdom, I want you to look then at the second part of verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And now James wants to tell us Something about the God we are asking. Something about the disposition of the one we are bringing our request to. Yahweh, the the Lord of heaven and earth, 
The triune God, he says, is a giving kind of God. He is the kind of God who shares his infinite wisdom, his limitless perspective, generously. He shares his wisdom, James says, without finding fault. And I wondered this week, why is that little phrase there at the end of verse 5? Why does James need to tell us that God gives wisdom without finding fault? Well, I think because he, he knows, like the rest of us, that most of us have a reluctance to acknowledge what we don't know. To demonstrate our vulnerabilities. Because we're, we're pretty sure that it might invite others to think less of us or even to use that weakness against us. Maybe you've had the experience of, of acknowledging a problem or a shortcoming, maybe even inviting someone into that with you, only later on for that person to hold it over you or against you or, or to use it to shame you in some particular way. Right? We, we hesitate to ask for help or to ask for wisdom because we fear others might find fault with us. And so James wants to speak into that fear. And he knows that if we're going to, to get to the place where we're comfortable asking God for wisdom, that there's probably some other work that has to be done in us as well. We have to to dig down a little deeper. I think James recognizes for us to ask for wisdom, we also need to gain trust. To ask for wisdom, we need trust. We need to know that the God we're asking is present in our trial or difficulty. We, we need to know that the God we're asking is gracious. We need to, ask, we need to know that the God we're asking is stable and is able to, to walk with that, that trial or that season with us no matter what. And so it's into that deficit, that need for trust, that I think James speaks in verses 6, 7, and 8. Oh, I'm going to jump ahead here. Can you help me I'm, move, move the slide actually one more ahead? There we go. Copy these out together with me. James says, but when you ask, when you ask for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. You must trust and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I think beginning in verse 6 here, James is thinking back to verse 2, where he talks about we, we should expect that we will face trials of many kinds. And when we get into those times of trial, it's, it's sort of like being thrown into storm-tossed and churning water, waves. Right? There's, there's upheaval. 
We feel untethered in those times. And so I think James wants us to think about when we feel untethered, when we feel unmoored, when we feel on the, on the, the waves of the open sea through a particular trial. James is asking us to examine what's going on within us during that time. And in particular, he wants to examine the place in us of of trust or faith. He says, when we're on the, the seas, when we're being tossed about, when we're being tried or tested, are we regularly bringing our cries for help to God? Do we know in those times and seasons that God is the one who holds us together? And in verse 6, James indicates what a a maturing, what a completing relationship of trust with God looks like. He says, when you ask God for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt him. What kind of trust, what kind of belief is James describing here? Well, I don't think belief or trust excludes questions. I don't think belief or trust excludes us from coming to God and and asking him about our circumstances, being perplexed, being frustrated, and, and expressing that frustration. That is part of how we pray. Part of the prayer of faith is is bringing our questions to God. But I think in the midst of those questions, there is a faith, there is a trust that is operational underneath and in the background as a foundation. Craig Blomberg, in his commentary on James, defines faith in this way. It says, faith is not the absence of questions, but rather, quote, a continuing confidence in the nature and identity of God. Faith is a continuing confidence in the identity and nature of our God. So we might have all of these questions, all of these things we don't understand about our circumstances. Faith is, is trusting in who God is and the way in which he is present to us. Blomberg goes on to say that that faith is the confidence that assures us no matter what, when we have need, when we come to God in those times of trial, when we depend on him, he is a God who gives unflinchingly to those who ask. That is his disposition. James says we need to learn to trust that disposition. That kind of personal trusting faith is necessary to carry us through stormy waters. And James says, without that kind of of deepening faith, that background faith, that confidence in the identity of who God is, he says, without it, we come apart as human beings. He says, instead of becoming increasingly complete, instead of becoming increasingly integrated, instead of becoming increasingly mature, and the people, verse 4, envisions us becoming in the faith. Instead, James says, when we lack faith, we get pulled apart. We become double-minded or double-souled is the Greek word there. 
We become unstable. We begin shifting and bouncing and splitting all over the place. And so where faith is lacking, where trust is lacking, there is a vacuum. And fear and anxiety love to fill that vacuum. Fear and anxiety can begin to steer and direct us. And they toss us like waves of the wind. Pastor Steve Koss is someone who's written extensively on the grip that anxiety has in many of our lives. And how anxiety can, can destabilize us. It can take us out of that place of security that we're meant to enjoy as daughters and sons of God. And the way he describes chronic anxiety is is a lot like riding the waves that James describes here. Steve Kuss says that anxiety or chronic anxiety is the condition of constantly believing we need something more, something else for us to be okay. Anxiety is this this deep-held sort of feeling that we need something more to be okay. It's the instinct to believe if this one thing were different, if I could control this one other area in my life, if I could change this particular circumstance, then I would have what I need to be okay with myself, with my world, with others. It's not to say that we don't have those deficits. It's not to say that there aren't things we long for to be different. But I think faith, in in contradistinction to anxiety, faith is bringing what we cannot control. Faith is bringing what we do not possess in this moment into the presence of the God who cares for us, the God who is with us. And it's believing that he knows our need. It's believing that his presence with us is enough in this moment for us to be okay. And then continuing to walk with him. So where are you in your journey with Christ with respect to that right now? Is he teaching you to to see your limits, to see what you cannot control? Are there ways that he's deepening deepening within you that, that kind of trust with what you lack? Or are there desires or fears within you? Anxieties that are tossing you around, pulling you apart. Let me invite you to to reflect on that. Maybe journal out these verses, 6, 7, and 8, sometime this week. And ask the Lord, "Where, where do I need, where would you invite a trusting faith in me? A deepening faith. So in verse 5, James asks us to come to God when we lack wisdom. In verses 6 through 8, James invites us to to come to God when we are lacking in trust or in faith. Finally, I want us to finish with verses 9 through 11. 
And they present one other area where we may be lacking. And that's the area of perspective. Perspective with regards to our circumstances and our possessions. You can journal these out together with me. Verse 9, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. In these last three verses that I want to look at this morning, I think James is putting his finger on our our tendency to draw security from things which we possess, from the things that belong to us. We, we want to draw security from the perspective of what is mine. What can I say I control, that I have, have done, that I possess? Maybe it's things like owning a home, having a good mortgage rate on your home. Maybe you're tempted to draw security from good health. Maybe you're tempted to draw a sense of security from your vocation or having a position of importance in your community. Maybe you draw security from the the knowledge that there's money in your IRA. Maybe you draw security from the fact that you drive a newish car. We could keep filling in the blanks. These are the things I possess. These are the things I control. And in the same way, though, we might also experience insecurity when we lack something in one of these areas. We might experience insecurity when we're stuck in a job we don't like. We might experience insecurity when we have bills to pay that we're not sure how to finance. We might have insecurity if we're looking to buy our first home and don't know how that's possible in the current housing market. We might experience insecurity if we have health concerns that make the future look unpredictable and unsure. In both cases, James is taking issue with the perspective that draws security and worth from these things. Or what verses 9 and 10 describe as a sense of pride. We tend to think that our pride is connected to what we possess and what we control. And if that's how we define pride, then the rich are at the top of that list because they possess the most things. And the poor are at the bottom of that list because they are constantly in danger of deficit, constantly in danger of of humiliation and lack. That's not, James says, the perspective of the kingdom. James says that's not the perspective of godly wisdom. 
For James, wisdom is to increasingly identify ourselves with the stability and the security and the worth of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And for James, Jesus Christ is wisdom personified. Jesus Christ is wisdom incarnate. And how did Jesus live but as the Son of God who lowered himself, who Philippians literally says humiliated himself, who made himself low for our sake. Wisdom is not taking pride, not finding security in what we hold, but rather finding our security in the one who holds us, who serves us and calls us to follow him in that lowering, in that humbling posture. So this is what many theologians have termed the great reversal. For James, this is true kingdom perspective. And so he says here, those who find themselves in humble circumstances, those who do not possess much, says they can take pride that they already enjoy a high position in the kingdom of God. They are trusting God for much. They are like Christ in many respects. And he says, those who are rich in material possessions, they should take pride when they are humbled. They should take pride in their humiliation. They should take pride in any circumstance which might break their false sense of security in the things they possess. Because James, quoting numerous parts of the Old Testament here, points to the brevity of those things. That they flower briefly only to wither and die. So James is inviting us to consider where do we need perspective? Where do we need to let go of a sense of security that's falsely placed? So I want to leave you with those three areas this morning. For walking with Jesus, there will be trials that expose our deficit, trials that expose our weakness, where we will lack wisdom, where we will lack trusting faith, and where we will lack true perspective. Let me invite you, as you reflect this week, to consider what is it you might be lacking right now? And what would it mean to move those things into the presence of a generous, and kind, and humble God who eagerly desires to meet you in that place?